Hello, my name is Jody Lima, and welcome to Dream Gardens, where we talk up the kids' books we love. On this twice-monthly podcast, I interview other kids' books enthusiasts, such as writers, teachers, and librarians, about their own favorite children's books. This week, I'm going to start off the podcast with the poem Offspring. This was written by Naomi Long Magit, and I found it in the poetry collection African American Poetry, which was edited by Arnold Rompersad and Marcellus Blount, and illustrated by Karen Barber. In this book, uh, before each poem, they include a little biographical information about the poet and a little note about what the poem is trying to say. And so I'm just going to read uh, what they've written here. Naomi Long Magit is a poet and a publisher of poetry. Born in Norfolk, Virginia, she grew up in New Jersey and in St. Louis, Missouri. She attended Virginia State College, now University, and Wayne State University in Detroit. Around 1947, she married and moved to Detroit, where her daughter was born. She taught for many years at Eastern Michigan University. Magit is also admired for her work with Lotus Press, which publishes poetry by African Americans. The speaker of her poem, Offspring, discovers that despite her wish to have her daughter live according to the speaker's own hopes and values, the child goes her own way. To the surprise and delight of the speaker, her daughter turns out to be confident, happy, and independent. Offspring by Naomi Long Magit I tried to tell her, This way the twig is bent. Born of my trunk and strengthened by my roots, You must stretch new-grown branches Closer to the sun than I can reach. I wanted to say, Extend myself to that far atmosphere Only my dreams allow. But the twig broke, And yesterday I saw her walking down an unfamiliar street, feet confident, face slanted upward toward a threatening sky, and she was smiling, and she was her very free, her very individual, unpliable own. My guest today is Laura Martin author of the Edge of Extinction series, including the books The Ark Plan and Codename Flood, and the newly released middle grade novel Float. You can find Laura's website at lauramartinbooks.com. Thank you for joining me today, Laura. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I mentioned you had this uh, series, Edge of Extinction, uh, which is uh, two books. Uh, Can you tell a little bit of what that uh, series is about? Well, the Edge of Extinction series, basically, it's a two-book series because my original book got split into two once it got published. But it's basically the idea that it's 150 years after we have figured out how to bring dinosaurs out of extinction, and it went horribly, horribly wrong. So the story starts 150 years after dinosaurs have kind of taken over, um, and what's left of the human race has gone underground, um, and nobody goes above ground anymore. So it starts with this girl named Skye, and she has a mystery to kind of figure out what happened to her dad. But to solve the mystery, she has to go above ground in a world where the human race is no longer at the top of the food chain. So it's kind of the um, adventure that happens from there. And what inspired you to write this book, these two books? I was teaching at the time that I wrote these. I was on fall break, and I went to the um, Natural History Museum in New York City. And I saw this little tiny dinosaur in a case, and I took a picture of it on my phone because I said, you know, if we really figure out how to bring dinosaurs out of extinction, will we have these like little dinosaurs as pets someday? Because it was about the size of like your average golden retriever. And then I completely forgot about the idea. I was actually trying to get a different book published 
that was a bust and will never be published. It was awful. I didn't realize it at the time. But um, so then later, my cell phone popped up this message and said, you know, you're out of storage. You need to delete something. And I found that dinosaur picture. And I had this image of a girl trying to get the mail in a world where dinosaurs are back and something easy like getting the mail isn't easy anymore. And that ended up being chapter one. So I just kind of ran with the idea from there because um, one of the best pieces of writing advice I've ever gotten was that if you are getting a bunch of rejections when you're trying to get a novel published, you should start something new. So you have something exciting kind of coming down the pipeline and the rejections don't hurt so bad. Um, so this was my something new coming down the pipeline. And do you anticipate revisiting the story sometime for a third or more books? It's funny. That's the number one question I get asked because kids do love the Edge of Extinction series and I would love to. Um, right now it's just the two books. You know, if they go gangbusters and my publisher came back and said, we'd like another book, I already have the idea and it would be very easy to write because I've already kind of crafted the world. Um, as of right now, they're just two um, and they're going to kind of stay those two. And then my newest novel, Float, that just came out actually does not have any dinosaurs in it. So it's kind of been a departure for me because for the last two years, I've been talking about dinosaurs and doing school visits and, you know, getting to have all those cool, you know, dinosaur facts, have little dinosaur models I bring with me. And then Float doesn't have any dinosaurs in it. It has a skunk. So I've been bringing a skunk along, a fake skunk, obviously. So it's been an interesting change. And then actually my next book that will come out in 2019 kind of almost goes back to Edge of Extinction kind of stuff because I have like the Loch Ness Monster in there and Bigfoot and all those kind of legends are in that book. Now this uh, novel Float, this came out just this month, is that correct? came out last week. Last week was the launch week. It was really exciting um, because it, publishing is an interesting world where your book's done for a long time, but it doesn't hit the shelves to almost a year after you put your final edits on it. So it's just really excited to finally see it on the shelves, finally have other people reading it. So yeah, it did just launch last week. And what is the story about? Floats essentially about a kid named Emerson who has the misfortune of floating and he can't control it. So he lives in a world where there's a bunch of other kids who have similar kind of problems. Like he has to wear a huge weighted vest. He has all these accommodations at school to kind of, you know, help him adjust to normal life um, and because of all these weird problems these kids have they end up at this government regulated camp called Camp Outlier where the government can kind of keep tabs on them and for the first time in Emerson's life he goes from being kind of an outsider to all of a sudden he's normal because everybody else has these problems too for example there's a kid named Hank who has inconsistent invisibility like his head will just randomly disappear there's another kid who self-combusts another kid sticks to stuff so for the first time he's with all these kind of other misfits but when you're with a bunch of other misfits nobody is anymore and it's this kind of adventure that happens trying to save one of their friends who has a time traveling impairment and what would you say uh, is the audience uh, for this book and your uh, edge of extinction series as well um, both my books are considered middle grade, so that's 8-year-old to 12-year-old, but I've met second and first graders who are totally capable of picking up this book and running with it, especially if um, a mom or dad read it out loud. And then, you know, there's high schoolers who would enjoy it as well. It has a very middle grade cover. Um, here in the U.S., our covers are very, like, animated for this age group. They're more illustrated versus young adult books tend to have, like, a more moody cover. So I feel like older kids would enjoy it, but they don't necessarily pick it up because it does look like a middle grade book. Now, you also do school visits as as well as writing. Uh, what can students expect at a typical school visit from you? I love doing school visits. It's something that I'm very good at because I used to be a teacher. I taught for six years. So this is very in my wheelhouse. When I started this kind of author journey, I was like, well, I can do school visits. I know exactly what goes into that. So um, I usually do a lot of 
talking about what goes into being a writer, about how to craft a story. Um, I do a lot of kind of behind the scenes. I almost pretend, you know, I feel like I'm Oz in the, in the Wizard of Oz. I pull the curtain back and show them what's actually back there and how authors actually do things. But I love it. I always say it's kind of like being a grandparent, like the teacher equivalent of being a grandparent, because grandparents get to come in and rile, rile all the kids up and then peace out at bedtime. And that's what I get to do as an author. I get to go in, I hype everybody up about reading, about writing, about dream chasing, and then I don't grade their essays. It's a really wonderful thing. Now, the book you chose as one of your favorite uh, kids' books is Alana, The First Adventure uh, by Tamora Pierce, and it was uh, first published in 1983 by uh, Anthem. This is actually the first of four books in what is known as the Song of the Lioness series, Uh, the other books being In the Hand of the Goddess, uh, The Woman Who Rides Like a Man, and Lioness Rampant. For readers who might be unfamiliar with both the series and this particular book, can you tell a little bit of what it's about? This is my all-time favorite book. I've read this one so many times. <laughs> I own multiple copies of it. But basically, it's about a girl named Alana who is, um, she's a twin. So she and her brother Tom are getting sent off basically to boarding school because their dad doesn't want to deal with them. Um, and so Tom is going to go learn to be a knight, and she has to go learn to be a lady. And she is absolutely dead set against this. So she comes up with this plot. She says, you know, Tom, you've always wanted to be a mage, which is basically like a magician. She says, why don't we change, you know, forge the letters. I'll pretend to be you and dress up like a boy. And I want to go train to be a knight. And you can go to where I, you know, the convent where I was supposed to go and they'll train you to be a mage. So they pull this kind of trick on their dad. They change the letters and she dresses up like her brother, Tom, because they're twins and she can get away with it. And by the time her manservant, who's along for the ride, basically figures it out, it's too late. And she's kind of committed to becoming a knight. Um, And it's her adventure, basically, from there of, you know, she's in disguise for most of the book, um, making friends and kind of overcoming hardships on this dream quest of hers to become a knight. What I love about it is it has a little bit of everything. It's got a ton of adventure. And it's one of my all-time kind of favorite storylines, I've realized, is the storyline of, If you have the grit and determination, you can do anything. And that very much kind of captures her. There's a little bit of magic in there. She has what they call the gift. So she has some magic that she's kind of learning how to use. Um, And it's really a big coming of age story. But then as the series progresses, she grows up. And so you get to see a lot of more coming of age stuff, you know, with romance. And she's really coming into her own as a warrior and as a knight. And she's kind of breaking social norms because she's going to become the first lady knight and it's just it's just a wonderful story i've reread it and reread it and every time it's good now this is a fantasy novel it involves um uh, magic and things like that and there are some familiar fantasy tropes like i mentioned the use of magic then there's this forbidden place that you know she's going to be going to at some point but what makes this particular book stand out from other fantasy books one of the things i love about tamora pierce and i've read everything she's ever written is that she created this world and then all of her books take place in this world. Um, so every time you pick up a Tamora Pierce book, you know, you're going to have some of those same elements of magic of having a strong, usually female character who's overcoming odds. So one of my favorite things about this book, I think is that she kind of addresses a lot of things head on. She doesn't shy away from hard topics. She doesn't shy away from things like bullying and, you know, dealing with kind of part of growing up. And so I loved Alana. It's funny. She's this 12-year-old, you know, redheaded, spunky, full of grit character. And so then I turned around when I grew up. Um, I didn't even realize that until after the book got published, my main character is a 12-year-old redheaded girl who has all this grit and is going to, you know, seize the day. So it's funny how sometimes the things you read as a kid 
they they change you and they kind of make an impact on who you are because I just wanted to be Alana when I was first reading this book because I just thought she was this awesome character and she kind of wanted she was everything I wanted to be. Now, throughout the book, there's this theme of uh, appearances and deception. You know, right from the beginning, Alana pretends to be a boy. And then later with the Duke Roger, who may not be exactly what others think he is. Uh, and I'm just wondering how you think this theme is woven into this book, this theme of deception and appearances not being what they seem to be. I think she I think the author does this for a few different reasons, but the whole deception, I think it's funny because Alana at the beginning, she's very convinced that these boys that she becomes friends with will not stay her friends if they knew the truth. She's convinced that everyone in her life will just kind of throw her out if they discover that she's a girl. And then bit by bit, as the story progresses, people start getting let in on this secret. Um, and she discovers that they like her for who she is. Um, and I think that's kind of a cool theme throughout the story that, you know, they like her for who she is, regardless of if she's dressed up as a boy or if she's dressed up as a girl. Um, and then it's that kind of foil of her deception is a very honest deception because she's trying to, you know, chase the stream. Whereas Duke Roger, you can tell from, you know, the get go that he's kind of a slimy character that his deception is not necessarily good. So I think Tamora Pierce does that as a foil. So you can kind of see these two characters who are doing similar things, but for very different reasons. And I assume we'll learn more about Duke Roger in forthcoming books as well and what he's really up to. Oh, yes. Now, you mentioned earlier that uh, Alana has this gift, this ability to use magic. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what the nature of her magic is and how it adds to who she is as a person as well? It's basically one of those things that she doesn't want to accept about herself. She knows she has it. She knows it's actually really strong and it's kind of bent towards healing. But she is afraid of it almost because she has this huge power and she would rather just forget about it and train her muscles and train her mind rather than work on this gift that she doesn't really want. That almost kind of frightens her. Her brother is the one who is into that kind of stuff. He's into the magic. He's into all that. And which is why he's off training to be a mage. Um, and she would rather forget about it, but she's forced to use it by the end of the book. And I don't want to give anything away, but it's also about kind of accepting who she is as a person and all of the parts of her, even if they're parts of her that scare her, which I think she's kind of learning about, who she's going to be by the end of the book. And by the end of the series, you really get to see that part of her shine through and she really has to address it multiple times. It's always part of her personality, this gift that she doesn't like, that she doesn't want to deal with. And she keeps being confronted over and over again that if you're given a gift, you need to use it. And so that's kind of the theme of the book. Throughout the book, she goes through a number of uh, trials and tests, and some are part of her formal training as becoming uh, a knight, and some are just... Uh, things that happen, like her conflict with uh, Raylon. And what are the importance of these trials for Alana, not just in terms of uh, meeting her goal, but how they develop her as a person? Well, I think it's funny because at the beginning, and actually the passage I marked that I was going to share addresses this a little bit, but there's a point in the big, very beginning on page 48 where she wants to quit, where she tells her mansard quorum, she says, I'm done, pack up, this is too hard. And he says, really, I didn't think I raised a quitter. And she really digs her teeth in. And you see multiple places throughout the book where she digs her teeth in. And because of hard work and grit and being willing to go the extra mile, she manages to overcome and accomplish things. So, for example, because she's a girl, she's not naturally as strong as some of the boys. So what she does is she borrows her manservant's sword that's like a huge, heavy soldier sword. And she trains with that so that she's training her muscles. And she's kind of always putting herself at the disadvantage so that she can ultimately better. Same thing with her confrontation where she's getting bullied. You know, she actually goes to 
one of her friends who's the king of the thieves, and he thinks she's there because, you know, he thinks she wants him to take this guy out for her. And she says, no, no, I just want you to teach me how to fight. And so she's always she's always standing up for herself. She's always saying, if I want this, I'm the one who has to work hard for it. And I think that she comes up against those conflicts because every single time she's kind of pulling herself up by her own bootstraps. She's saying, if I'm going to accomplish this, no one's going to help me out. No one can know that I'm a girl. I have to do this myself. And if that means I have to go above and beyond, then that's what I'm going to do. You mentioned George, who's a thief, and she has a number of these allies along the way. Uh, George, uh, Coram, uh, Prince Jonathan, Sir Miles, and so on. Uh, what do they contribute to Alana, or how do they help her along uh, the way, both in her you know, her training and just uh, her growth as a person? I love the cast of characters in this book. Um, I think that it shows that she is kind of a very well-rounded person. She doesn't really differentiate between the prince that she's friends with and the king of the rogues that she's also friends with. Um, everybody is based purely on their personality and their personal merit and who they are as a person, not necessarily their ranking. And so she acquires all these friends. And like I said, throughout the book, she's always worried that these friends she's acquiring aren't going to like her once they know the truth. And you see this wide gamut of people who don't have that problem. Um, and so I think they all kind of help bring out little parts of her. Um, and you're going to see that she's supposed to be, I mean, she's a noble, she's supposed to be in this upper echelon of people, but she has no problem hanging out with the people, you know, at the Dancing Dove, because she judges people on people, not on rank. And you're going to see that some of her friends in particular, as you move on through the series, kind of call her on that a couple different times. And she goes completely off course of what everyone thinks she should be doing, um, because she judges people on face value. And apart from Alana, did you have a favorite character in the book? Probably George. I think he's really fun. And as the books progress, he gets even better. Um, Just that King of the Thieves that he's so smart and he's able to kind of juggle all these balls, but he's also still friends with, you know, the future prince of the realm. And I love that when Jonathan does visit him, he's not Jonathan, he's Johnny. So it's just showing that, you know, sometimes you're born into a position. It's not the position you want to be in. Um, but George, I think he's just the most fun. I also love Coram. He's, um, Alana's manservant throughout the whole thing. And he's just kind of this gruff character, but you know that he loves Alana. You know, he's rooting for her. Um, he's the key person who's helping her keep her secret without him. She really couldn't do it. So he's just a fun father figure, I think, because a lot of times in young adult books, you don't see mom and dad. And this one isn't any different. You hear about Alana's dad in the beginning, but you don't really ever see him or get to know him. But Coram kind of fills that fatherly role and i like that now you've given um little bits of hints here and there about things that we might see in future novels and i and obviously we don't want to give spoilers you know and tell everything that's going to happen in the entire series but can you give an idea of beyond this novel what sort of adventures or in a general way that uh, alana has to look forward to um, well, the first book's very much about the knight training and her training to be a knight. And the other books are not necessarily as much about that. She kind of gets, you know, comes into her own as a lady knight. And she is going on these adventures. Um, there's some wars that break out that she has to take part in. She has some romances along the way, which as a kid reading this, I absolutely love that. Because you really didn't see anything like that in other young adult books. You didn't see characters falling in love and... Um, that was a very new thing for me to discover in a young adult book. Um, now that's very common. But when I was a kid, you didn't see it as much. So I loved that about her. And then 
there is um, Duke Roger does come back into play almost. As, I don't want to say like it's a Voldemort character, but he's always that like evil presence in the background that she's trying to overcome. And uh, just a quick question. If someone reads these novels and really enjoy them, and I know uh, uh, Tamar Pierce has written uh, several other uh, novels, he said, in this world. Do you have a recommendation uh, after this series of where might be the next series of books or a book that you might recommend? Like I said, she's written a lot. So there's a ton of books set in this world. My favorite series other than this one, and this is the very first one that I ever stumbled upon, but you get to see some of these same characters um, in the next series. Hold on. Let me see if I can find it. It is. Well, first test is actually really good because you get to revisit the whole girl training to be a um, knight. Basically, it's about a girl named Dane and she has wild magic where she can speak to animals and you find out later she can actually like turn into animals. So I thought that was here it is. It's the Immortals Quartet is what it's called. And so. Basically, it's this young girl, again, who's trying to overcome the odds, and she gets taken in by basically grown-up Alana and some of her friends and trained in this magic, and it's a very different magic than Alana has. And so you get to just see a whole different facet of this world, and there's a huge war that breaks out. But I would say that's probably my second favorite um, of the book she's written, but anything by Tamora Pierce is really good. You you talked about a little bit earlier that you had a passage saved out um, that you wanted to share. I did, um, and this is at the beginning of the book. Alana just got her way and she um, is trained to be a knight and she's just kind of finding out how hard this is going to be. Um, And she's only two days in and she comes in in a mood because all the classes are hard and she keeps getting all this homework and she's, you know, she's not even training, doing the fun stuff yet. Um, And Alana has a very strong temper throughout the book. You can see that's one of her downfalls is she has this temper. And so on page 48, she says, pack your thing. She ordered Coram as she marched in the door. We're going home. Coram looked at her. He had been sitting on his bed, cleaning his sword. We are? Alana paced the room. I can't do this, she told the manservice. This pace will kill me. No one can live this way all the time. I won't. I never figured you for a quitter, Coram interrupted softly. I'm not quitting, Alana snapped. I'm protesting. I'm protesting unfair treatment and being worked till I drop. I want to have time to myself. I want to learn to fight with a sword now, not when they decide. I want... You want, you want. Tis something different you're learning here. It's called discipline. The world won't always order itself the way you want. You have to learn discipline. This isn't discipline. It's inhuman. I can't live with it, and I won't. Coram, I gave you an order. Pack your things. Coram carefully scrubbed a tiny bit of dirt off his gleaming sword. At last, he put it down carefully on the bed. With a groan, he knelt down and reached under the bed, dragging out his bags. As you say, he replied, but I thought I'd raised you with something to you. I didn't think I was bringing up another soft noble lady. I am not a soft, noble lady, Alana cried. I'm not crazy either. I'm going from sunrise to sunset and after without a stop and no end in sight. My free time's a joke. I'm out of free time before I get to the third class of the morning. And they expect me to keep up and they punish me if I don't. And I have to learn how to fall. I'm learning the stance with the bow all over again when I was the best hunter at Trebon. And if I say anything, I get more work. Coram knelt on the floor and looked at her. You knew it'd be hard when you decided to come, he reminded her. No one ever told you a night. Had it easy. I for certain didn't. I told you it was not but hard work every waking minute and a lot of extra waking minutes to boot. And now you're running away after just two days of it. I'm not running away. As you say, miss, Quorum hoisted himself onto the bed with a groan, reached for his boots. I'll be packed as soon as may be. So then basically she slams into her room and she changes her mind. But I love this moment because you see the turning point. You know, she could have very well said, I'm done. This is too hard and gone home. Um, And she would have had every right to because it was hard. But that's kind of where she digs in her heels and says, if I want 
this, I'm going to have to work for it. And I'm going to have to work harder than everybody else's to kind of break even. And so I just love that part of the book. Well, uh, Laura, uh, thank you so much for introducing this book to me. I had not read uh, the book or this series. I've just read the first book now, but I'm looking forward to reading the rest of them. And thank you also for uh, taking the time to talk to me about it today. You're welcome. And they're fabulous on audio as well. If you're an audiobook person, all these books are on audio, and I've re-listened to them on audio and enjoyed them just as much. Oh, I do like listening to books on audio, so I'll have to look for, look for that as well. Yes. Well, thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. I missed this book. I'm going to have to reread it you know, for a 500th time. You can find Laura's website at lauramartinbooks.com. Thank you for joining me on Dream Gardens. The theme music titled All Together is provided courtesy of Purple Planet Music. You can visit them at www.purpleplanet.com. Podcast cover art is provided by Creative Pro 180, courtesy of Fiverr, which can be found at www.fiverr.com. You can visit me at jleemott.com or follow me on Twitter at DreamGardensJLM. The Dream Gardens podcast is also available through iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, please comment, share, or subscribe. Until next time, keep dreaming, keep growing, and keep reading.